0: everyone and welcome to episode number 34 of the Learning to Lead podcast. I'm so excited to be with you this month. We have a fantastic interview. I got to sit down with one of my heroes, Pastor John uh, Nuzo, who is the founding and senior pastor of Victory Family Church. And I'll talk more about him in the interview in a second. Uh, Before we jump into that, I just have a few announcements. One, I just want to personally thank you for listening to this podcast. I've been doing this podcast for over two years now, and it's been a hugely rewarding experience for me. And I know in hearing from a lot of you that it's added value to your life as well. So thank you for listening to that, to this podcast. If it's added value to you, um, there's actually a section in each of the show notes for each episode that says how you can help this podcast. And I just want to encourage you, if you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and rate and review it on iTunes. It helps grow the influence of um, this podcast, and that would greatly help me. And so if you could do that for me, I'd greatly appreciate it. And again, thank you for listening. And I'm always open to feedback. If there's anything you would uh, like me to do better, if there's anyone that you would like me to specifically interview, let me know, and, and I'll try to make that happen. So thanks the second episode, uh, the second announcement is really just something that's in my heart uh, my wife and i and we really have a heart for leadership development uh for leaders and that's really the reason i started this podcast and out of that and even just running this podcast i've had so many people come up to me and talk to me and say hey uh, help me to grow as a leader help me i have so many people or, hey i have young leaders in my organization i want to grow them and um it just keeps coming up and up and up in our hearts again. And so I really want to do something about that. I want to help develop young leaders. And so my wife and I have sat down and, and with some other people and really just started talking about what we can do. And uh, one of the things that we came up with that I would like to start in the fall of 2014 is Leadership Breakfasts. Um, Where you can come and I'll have some of the people that I interviewed come in and speak to you on the subject of leadership development. You'll get to network with them and other young leaders uh, all around the city of Pittsburgh who are interested in leadership development, goal setting, productivity, and all of these different things. And. that's just one avenue that we see this going. There's a lot of others, but I say all that to say this, that I need a small group of, of leaders who are passionate about leadership development who would want to get in on this, uh, the ground level. I'm looking to start a small group of probably 10 to 15 leaders who say, hey, I want to be on this from the ground level. I want to help make um, these leadership breakfasts happen. I want to make leadership experiences happen. And um, and I would just be interested in joining a small group to discuss this. If that's you and you say, hey, I want to be a part of that, uh, I would love to talk to you about it. You can contact me several ways. They're all in the show notes. Um, you can email me at dougsmithlive at gmail.com. Um and you can also Facebook me, LinkedIn me, um, et cetera, or there's a contact me tab on the blog uh, that you can reach me at as well. But, again, I would love to talk to you. So if that's you, let's talk. That's it. That's it for announcements. Let's jump right into this interview. As I said, I got to sit down and interview Pastor John Nuzo, who is the senior and founding pastor of Victory Family Church in Cranberry Township. And uh, this was just so special to me. I met Pastor John when I was 17 years old. I just uh, I was just graduating from high school. And uh, I was headed absolutely nowhere in my life. And I started interning at the church um, just because I wanted to impress a girl, really. But uh, I met uh, Pastor Larry Betancourt, who's a huge influence in my life, and really started going to church there and getting plugged in and started learning about leadership. And the reality is, in the past 10 years, everything that I've learned, is, is a result of Victory Family Church and the influence that it's had on my life. And so uh, that would not be possible without Pastor John and his influence. So I said I interned there several years. I got to work on staff there for three years. And Pastor John is a leader of leaders, and he has so much wisdom. And so I sat down with him. We talked for about an hour. It was a fantastic interview. It's actually 51 minutes long, and um, so I actually have split this into two parts. Um, You can listen to part one or part two, and something else that I'm doing now is I'm actually putting the time in the episode next to the question, that you can listen to uh, so you can actually skip ahead if there's a specific question that you want to listen to and you're short on time you can say okay I'm going to skip ahead to 10 minutes where where Doug asked Pastor John this and uh, I just think that'll help and be beneficial as well so that's it Um, enjoy this interview and I'll talk to you later this month thanks Pastor John for being willing to do this and uh, why don't we start off with you just telling us a little bit about you
1: I've been pastoring Victory for 20-plus years and been in ministry for, um, I guess, over 30 now and married with uh, Michelle. We've been married 25-plus years, have um, three kids, Ryan's 21, no, he's 20. My daughter Sian is 18 and my daughter Alexa is 16, so it's just been, it's been very busy.
0: <laughs> I'm sure. So, I've heard you refer to yourself as a learned leader. So, kind of walk us through your leadership journey, you know. How did you end up here?
1: Well, it is, it's clearly a learned leader. Um, uh, I didn't have the opportunities as a kid in the, in the culture I was raised to um, really have any understanding of leadership. <clears throat> I was raised in a, in, a, in a steel mill town and my father worked in the mills and um, what he taught me though was a work ethic and, uh, and character. Um, and those obviously are huge uh, leadership issues. But I really wasn't ever taught to think in terms of of, of leading people. And so, that, so I, when I went into ministry, I had no context for any of that. And so when I began to work with people, um, I quickly began to fall over myself simply because I didn't know, I didn't have the skill set. And so when I traveled and spoke in churches, it, my beginnings were, oh, about five years or so I worked as a children's and a youth pastor in a church. And then I started traveling and speaking in churches. And then we spent a, a year living overseas in Africa. None of those things really required uh, the level of leadership that uh, that pastoring a church does. So when I founded the, my wife and I, the church here, twenty. Uh, years ago, uh, I immediately was overcome by my lack of skill and understanding. So I went on a, a an intense seven or eight year learning curve that uh, it, it was it was pretty intense. I, and it wasn't just learning, I had to learn terminology to even I, it was it was like learning to read. Uh, my curve was so deep, so um, so it's been. It was very, very intentional, and um, and uh, and it's been ongoing. But that that first push of seven, eight years, um, because uh, I realized that if I was going to effectively serve the church I founded, uh, they needed to have a pastor who had a deeper skill set than the one I had. That's
0: good. Just with that. Because I'm curious. So, I, you know, you hear John Maxwell talk about level 10 leaders can can attract anyone, but if you're a level 5 leader, I mean, would you, where would you say you started on that? And, like, how far, you know, some people say that if you're a level 5 leader, you can only go up to a 7, maybe a best. If you're an 8, right. you can go up two levels. Would you agree with that assessment? Because you've obviously grown a ton in that time.
1: Um, I think capacity is obviously an issue with people. Some people are built a certain uh, grace or a certain capacity uh, that, that's just who they are. Uh, I don't think it's, it's that, that, that linear. I don't think you can do it that, uh, uh, with that kind of uh, metric. I, I would say that in leadership, if you know where you're going and, and you're passionate about where you're going... It can, it can make a huge... It makes up uh, for a lot of sins, so to speak. It, it, it will... While you're learning, uh, people will be very gracious to you if where you're headed is, is valuable. Um, and a lot of times people will learn principles of leadership, but they're not going anywhere. They don't have a, a purpose or a vision for their life that's greater than themselves. that really does require the, the help of other people. And so... Most leadership failures, particularly in our culture, where people can be educated uh, by through the click of a of a mouse, is uh, their internal picture of what their life is meant to accomplish isn't significant enough to require to be uh, the need to be a great leader, because you're never going to attract the kind of gifts and talents and resources uh, to to uh, to fulfill a purpose if uh, if the purpose isn't significant enough so I started with a call that we had to begin this church and you know I thoroughly ignorant of pastoring a church the dynamics of pastoring all that, I, I just was thoroughly ignorant but the first day I stood up and said here's what we're called to do, we're called to be a regional church, to touch tens of thousands of people to build a, a, a building that will that will seat multiple thousands. And that was the first service. Now, it hit the back wall and bounced and hit me in the face. Everybody there just stared at me like you're out of your mind. But that was very clear to me that what we're doing today is no different than what I saw 20 years ago. The only problem was 20 years ago, my wife and I were the only two people that saw it. Um, and the key to leadership is making it very clear what, why should I invest my time? Why should I invest my life? And um, one example of that was when, uh, and this, this transcends ministry, but uh, I had a younger pastor call me who was really struggling. Very talented guy, had, a, had I think had a signi- had significant skill set. And I asked him, I said, well, tell me why your church exists. And when he finished the conversation, he basically said, it exists to have services. And that was the end of it. Not that that's unimportant, but we exist to open on a Sunday, do what we do on a weekend, and go home. And so when he finished, I said, to be really honest with you, I wouldn't go to your church. Not because of you. If I, I know you. I said, well, tell me this. If you had everything you needed and... You were able to just go do everything that was in your heart. Tell me, what would you do in your community? What would you want to see done for people? And then he went on like a 15-minute a tear. Well, we'd do this and I'd do that and we'd want to do... This. I said, well, I'd go to that church. I would show up early to help at that church. I would give my money to help that church. But the one you told me about in the beginning, the only people you're going to attract are people that think the church exists to exist... I said, so what I encourage you to do for the next, I forget, six months, a year, whatever it was, is to take the next six months to a year of your, uh, of your ministry and instead of just preaching Bible lessons, cast vision for why your church exists and melt it into your message. Spend 50% of your time preparing to cast the reason you exist and 50% along with content. And if you'll do that for six months you're going to see the level of, of person who's willing to invest their time, their talent, and their treasure in this mission increase and and he did it and, uh, and I don't want to oversimplify things because some things typically things are typically much more complex than that but uh, they went from a handful of people and he would been going four or five years had 60 to 70 people in his church was terribly frustrated. Two years down the road they're running well over 250 they they're building their first building it, it, he didn't change he just simply let the passion that was in him come out of him so going back to the premise that a lot of people are learning leadership but don't have any they're not going anywhere that demands people with significant gifts and, and, uh, and grace in their life to, to, to join their, their talents to it.
0: So, and this is just a question. So because you were secure in what God called you to do and the vision that he put in your heart, that allowed you to work through the insecurities of being incapable. Would you say that's true of you? Because I think a lot of young leaders are insecure. And yes. why should people follow me, etc.? How did you work through that that feeling of inferiority or that I'm never going to get this or however you did feel?
1: Well, if you, one of the keys to being a fruitful and sustainable leader is to deal with your own issues. Um I think some of the great leaders in our culture today um, that are touted, that write great leadership books, um, uh, and and, and I don't mean this to be critical, but if you take Jack Welsh, for example, who, I mean, has a tremendous track record in business, has a pretty lousy one personally, Uh, and a lot of of tragedy and a lot of pain around his personal life. Certainly, I'm not saying that to condemn him or criticize him, but that's not a good trade-off. To, to compartmentalize your life and be successful in one area and, and very very unhealthy in another. Um, I think everybody has issues. I, I, I've never met a person without them. I like to jokingly say that uh, the people who think they have no issues that's their issue you know but is, is when you begin to discover why you do what you do and you begin to discover the, the personal lids in your life, the personal unhealthiness, you begin to to and if you're honest about it i found that people want uh, integrity and honesty are, are are synonymous terms to me people already know you're imperfect people are if they are anywhere around you long enough they know your faults and to present yourself with the absence of those things is a lack of integrity now, i'm not saying being self-deprecating to the point to where you know you're just people don't want to come and watch somebody just disintegrate in front of them. But to be honest is that I knew my deficits. So I knew where God had called us to go, and I knew my deficits. I know my, my gifts are very, very narrow. So I, I knew where I was strong, and I knew where I was weak. Now, there are multi-gifted people that, I mean, they're, they're just gifted everywhere. To me, that would be harder it's a lot easier when your gifts are narrow man you just because you know if you don't get help you're, you're gonna you're drowning
0: yeah just about in there so I know you talk a lot about blind spots yes and again again it's what you're talking about working with issues that we may not even see in ourselves how did you identify your blind spots and if it was natural to you how do you help others I'm sure you see others and you pour into leaders that they have blind spots they don't see. How do you become aware of the blind spots and issues that you need to work through personally?
1: Well, ours really was almost unintentional. Um, I was seeking to get help organizationally. Um, we brought a consultant in who was going to help us just integrate a process, simple just management issues that anybody with any background would have been able to do in their sleep. But I'd never even been exposed to them. So here, you know, this steel mill kid growing up in a steel mill town this organization starting to grow i didn't know how to hire people i didn't know how to manage people i didn't know how to evaluate people i didn't know how to evaluate myself so i would hire somebody for a job and they say, well, what do you want me to do and i would say figure it out i don't know and this, i couldn't even clarify i defining a win clarifying a win it was just go do it and one of the The good things that happened is that one of the first guys I hired, the first guy we hired, I said that to him, and he had such a passion and a heart, he just went and did it. But that was good and bad. So I assumed everybody who came on board would have that kind of intentionality and purposefulness, but they didn't. And I failed a lot of people as a result that I think could have done better had I known how to manage those people. So in essence, we were bringing a guy in. I realized that deficit was... Like Grand Canyon, big. Okay, so how did the,
0: that make you feel? I mean,
1: knowing that. Yeah, no. I I think the more secure you are as a person, my, and as a Christian, my security is found in Christ, not in my performance. And I'd spent a lot of time in God's Word defining my my ident- I, my identity. That my identity was who I was through Christ, and not what I would do, good or bad so it lets you be honest with yourself when you're not trying to build an identity but you have one established so so in that sense I was um, I was able to say look I'm just horrible at this but it doesn't change where we're headed it doesn't change that it's important that we accomplish this mission it's just I need help so the guy came in to help us just with these um, uh, issues and he uh he, and he met with my, with Michelle and I personally, and and he, and, and he and we spent a lot of time with him. We went through a lot of questions. and um, Well, by the time he finished with us, before he ever went into the organization, he just said, look, guys, you're never, your organization will never be any healthier than you are. So how much attention do you want to give to becoming whole people, the kind of people that can lead people without creating these big chasms that the organization or others fall into and I said well you know certainly we want to do that um, and uh, my my wife had been raised uh, by a single mom abandoned by her father uh, developed a very negative view of life uh, uh, she had determined internally that she would never be disappointed again so she would never expect anything good so she was very very negative uh, now, I'm a very positive person, so that was a conflict immediately in our marriage. So I was always trying to make her positive, and she was always trying to pull me into negative. My assumption was I just married somebody that had problems, that I didn't share those problems. So, you know, this is just I, I felt bad, badly for her, but, you know, man, just I can't live this negative life with you. And so we're having these discussions with this guy and he's delving into my life and her life and then he simply said to me John it's pretty clear because negativity is very easy to to define and diagnose he said there's no question that Michelle lives what he called a negative negative life meaning that everything in life is positive, neutral and negative you uh, you're sitting in a chair and it's comfortable that's positive Uh, you're, you're you're just sitting in a chair. It's neutral. It breaks, and you fall on the floor. It's negative. So there's no... Everything in life falls in those categories. He said, people that are unhealthy in extremes will take... In your wife's case, will take everything positive and make it ne- negative, everything neutral and make it negative, and everything negative make it negative. So she pulls everything into this unhealthy strata. And I said, yeah, I'm aware of that. I said, but... Um, I don't know how to help her. I don't know how to, 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 because I know it's rooted in in being abandoned by her dad when she was a kid. And and she, you know, we're working on these issues. But he said, Do you know where you are in that strata? I said, Yeah, I I know I'm not negative. I said, I'm a positive person. And he, because we had really talked honestly about our lives. He said, John, but do you understand the, the level of unhealthiness you are on the other side of the spectrum? I said, No, I really don't. He said, "You're a positive, positive person. You take everything negative, neutral, and positive, and make it positive. In other words, if the house is on fire, I pretended it was a weenie roast. <laughs> if you, first you don't succeed, you pretend you did. Right. The captain of denial. I would absolutely ignore negative things to where they would until something blew up, and and then I'd be shocked." He said. People marry their opposites typically, and you two have married the opposite. The problem is you weren't on, 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 on just different personality types, which I'm more of a, uh, of a choleric and a sanguine kind of mixture, and Michelle's more of a melancholy. Well, you know, we often marry our opposites, and it helps complete us as a person. He said, but you two married the opposites of unhealthiness. Your wife is the extreme of the negative And you're the extreme of the positive And you guys have been fighting for seven years To turn the other person into the other extreme And neither one of you are healthy So I went on a I don't know Well, It's, it's a continuing journey It continues to this day Of trying to discover What do I really believe about myself Why do I believe it why do I act the way I do? Why do I think the way I do? Why do I ignore things that shouldn't be ignored? Uh, now, In fact, this afternoon, Michelle and I are going to go a couple hours away from here, and we're meeting with that same guy. And we'll spend all, Friday's my day off, we'll spend <clears throat> the whole day tomorrow, um, morning through the evening, and, and he's going to help us and work with us again. So, we, we're, are, are you in distress? No, it's just the opposite we were in distress 15 years ago we weren't getting divorced we didn't want to shoot each other we weren't beating each other we just weren't getting along because we we were both so terribly unhealthy now you can imagine what that does when you found an organization a church whatever a business that unhealthiness goes through the organization and and so very unhealthy people began to be attracted to uh, positions of responsibility and that's not their fault and 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 by the way everybody who's in a position of responsibility has some unhealthiness in their life and it's not that those people couldn't have grown through it I didn't have the skills to acknowledge it or know it I couldn't diagnose it so we would we would have these people in the wrong positions in the wrong places and you know it just wasn't it wasn't the church kept growing but internally I knew we were we were in trouble so long story short uh, Michelle and I have worked a lot of years 15 years on these issues with consistency and um, the gentleman his name is Claude Robald, um, a while back called me and said would you guys like to get together again just to you know connect and he said I'll do it as a gift to you guys And and where I was apprehensive at first because I didn't want to... It would be easier not to know these things. We were really excited, so we're going to... So 15 years later, the process continues. So I don't want to make it sound like it's it's final. It's not. It's an ongoing issue that I think in any, all of our lives is that we, we kind of have a, a, a gravitation back toward maybe some unhealthy things that, that if we're not careful and, and, and consistent that we can slip back into it and, and again, negatively impact people. that's the bad thing and good thing about being a leader. The healthier you are and the more effective you are, you help people. The more ineffective you are and the more unhealthy you are, you hurt people. And I don't know many people that, that serve any organization with the intent of hurting people. Now, there are some crazy people out there, I get it, but for the most part, that's not their intent. So that's kind of a long way around the journey, but
0: yeah. So, so with that being a positive, positive person, talk to me about failure as a leader. So, have you? I'm sure you've experienced failure somewhere along the line.
1: How much time years. do you have? <laughs> uh, I don't need you examples. We need a part five, six, and seven <laughs> to get through all that. The the when you're positive, positive, you don't feel failure, so you ignore it, and so. It's, it's like death by a thousand cuts. And you're laying in a pool of blood and you finally go, hey, I'm bleeding. Um, so my failures were not being able to see. The Bible refers to leadership as an overseer. Um, in fact, that's what a pastor's called. Most pastors completely violate that principle. Most pastors are so far into the trenches, they can't see anything. An overseer means you see over. It, it's, a, it's a place of perspective that you're able to have a purview of things so you could see it. So Jesus said the blind leading the blind both fall into the ditch. Well, here's a church with a compelling vision. Um, and, I, and I believe I, I, I communicated that vision in a compelling way because it was an innate. It was a part of me. It was a, a grace, I believe, given to me. Being able to communicate something, and and it truly being a pure thing from God, but when it filters through the the person who can't see, you know, if a blind person came into my office today and bumped around the room, I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I'd, I'd say, well, can I help you, or you know, assist them to 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 make sure they were in a new place and could navigate it well. When you're a blind leader, you, you just keep bumping into things, and it's like, well. And you're hoping it will change. Well, I, I kept, because of my positive, positive, I expected the next day to be better. I didn't have any plan to make it better. It just, it, 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 it will get better, it will get better. And it just did. Uh, the organization kept growing. But the unhealthiness uh, was, was pretty uh, palpable. And, uh, and it took time for, for those transitions to happen in the organization. It took a lot of time, and a lot of the people actually had the opportunity to grow themselves. Some just didn't fit. Some had no business in a position of responsibility, um, uh, and some were unwilling to make the journey to grow. It's painful to grow. You know that part. I would say it's because when you look in the mirror and you see the truth, you better have a security that's rooted in something other than your own self-interest. And as a Christian, thankfully, my, my security is in Christ, which gave me the opportunity to just be able to be truthful with some uh, some outside assistance.
0: How did you, it may just be an example, but how did you develop a staff culture of growth? Because you definitely have one here. I know a lot of your staff members. I mean, is it just hiring the right people that are hungry to grow? or?
1: I mean, That's part of it, is that is that you hire high-impact people. Uh, it doesn't mean older people necessarily, but high-impact people. People who have a passion in their life. And, but one of our, one of the things I, I, I that I formulate questions around, and we do as a staff when we interview people, is we don't want to know what you are going to do here. Tell us what you've done. You say, well, how do you, you know, how do you deal with that with someone who's 22 years old? Well, 22 year old has a history. You know, and the truth of it is, organizations like, like mine pastor a church like this, if we don't develop that culture, this is going to be a one-generational church. The leaders will grow old with me. Uh, the next generation will be pushed out. They'll have to wait till we're all dead before they're able to, to have any authority and responsibility. And then what it results in is they leave. And then the church gets older and older, and we will have more money because we won't be spending it on anybody. We won't to have kids in the building. We will need to get pictures of them. But if we don't intentionally, which is what we are, we're very intentional about next generation leaders here. But I'm not just wanting smart young people. I want I'm, you've got to have values, uh, and I'm, I'm finding one of the pitfalls of leadership and next generation leaders is their mentors are very often like an hour and a half older than them. Um, that they they go on the internet and read blogs and I'm all for that. Or they're, they're finding a, a, a superstar leader out there that's 35 or 25 and they're following that person closely. Now I would say learn from that person you know Steal everything they have, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Learn from them, just it, it grow, learn, but don't follow them closely. They're too young, you, you, because you'll follow stupid. They, they're stupid in everybody. The great, I, one of my my pastor helped me with this years ago. He said to me, uh, uh, I, I was speaking for him, and I was like, maybe twenty six, and and I was extremely arrogant the way I spoke, and but I've been following a certain minister closely who was very arrogant in the way he spoke. So he pulled me aside and he said, you know, you sound like so-and-so when you speak. I said, well, well, thank you. (laughs) He said, it's not a compliment. (laughs) And uh, he said, said, don't follow his ministry that closely, he's too young. And he gave me great advice. He said, the ministries you want to follow, the people you want to follow closely, should be very old or dead. He said, because they'll tell you their mistakes. One of the, I think, the pitfalls of the current generation is the accessibility of information is such that the people they follow are right in the middle of some of the most stupid decisions they'll ever make. And you'll follow that decision. Now, you add 20 years to them, they'll tell you, hey, can I tell you something I really did that was stupid? That, man, it it tilted my organization in the wrong direction. tilted me personally in the wrong direction. So, I look for leaders that have an understanding of honor. If people can't honor people in their life, eventually they're they're going to be an unsustainable leader. You can't count on somebody that doesn't have honor. If somebody comes into an organization and they dishonor the people that were there before because they're smarter, brighter, or faster. Um, And... um, my father had a great saying, was because he, as, as a mill worker, he didn't go to school. All of his kids, of course, went to college, and and my dad used to tease about it, you know. And, but and 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 you know, as we got older and 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 more educated, and and began to do things in life, and, and you know, we would talk to our my dad, who uh, was an inc- incredible integrity and an amazing work ethic. Um, would always say things like this. He said, listen, he said, a lot happened before you got here. (laughs) Okay. See this nation, it was industrialized before you were born. A lot happened before you showed up. Sometimes we think in this culture that we're new and innovative. I mean, really? I mean, we're starting at at, at 10,000 feet. New and innovation are the people that started ground zero. You know, when you go back 100-plus years in this country or so, people are on on horses. been a lot happening before I showed up, you know. And so I look for humility. I look for honor. How do they treat, how do they talk about people in their life? I want to know, I just ask general questions. You know, tell me about your family life. Not anything specific. And I want to hear how they speak about the people in their life. Do they dishonor people? Because if they dishonor people as, as, as a part of their character, they'll be dishonoring here, and they'll be in, and they will hurt people. Do you have honor in your life? Do you have integrity? Integrity to me is as much about what you know that you don't know, as a, as much as what you purport to be doing well. It's integrity to me is that hey, I, I don't understand that. I, I don't understand that at all. Um, this, uh, this is a, a off the, some people may not understand this example, but um, a, a guy I know was uh, traveling with this older minister, and this older minister had this very, very strong and powerful ministry, and, in the, in the, and he's sitting in the back seat and this younger minister is sitting in the front seat. And they're driving along, and this older minister grabs the seat and starts to shake it and scream. He starts going, whoo, whoo. He goes, oh, God, whoo. And, and, he, and he said, Did you feel that? Meaning that God's presence showed up in the car. And he said, This younger minister's in the front seat, and he said, uh, No. <laughs> he said, Neither did I. Amen. He said, you know, what a test, you know. Yeah. He said, I was like wanting to say, well, I know I'm going to sound like I can't feel anything. God must have did something in this car. But And he said, and he never did anything before or after like that. But he said, but man, it was so unlike him. He's going, whoo, oh, like, like God's presence is in the car. And he's about to seeing Jesus, you know, something like that, you know. And, and, and he basically was just testing this kid. And he said, did you feel that? And he went, oh, no, sir, I'm sorry. I didn't feel anything. He said. And he didn't say anything else. He went, me either. That's integrity. Yeah. It's that the younger you are, the more you're tempted to pretend you know. And uh, the older you get, the more desperate you are to understand what you don't know. And, and, and that, uh, that, the more quickly you make that transition, the more apt you'll be to be um, a servant leader that helps people. And not just you know built-in account or a bank account or a title.
0: It's good.